it's important as it's ever been to right size the cash that you have on hand and ask yourself, ask your spouse, what is the number that we need to sleep well, to feel good, to feel financially secure? Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 170 of Anesthesia and Pain Management Success. Today, I want to discuss financial opportunities that are available in light of the inflation that we've seen this year. So inflation, I mean, it's a it's a multifactorial reality that has some upsides and some downsides. And the obvious downsides are the increasing costs of goods for consumers. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Every time I go to the grocery store, I feel like the one bag of groceries <laughs> just, it's hard to get out of the grocery store for less than a hundred bucks, even if I'm hardly getting anything, it seems. That has been the reality for many consumers this year. That's one of the obvious downsides. However, there are upsides to inflation and the upsides are attached to, and without going all the way down the rabbit hole on what is the Federal Reserve and monetary policy and all that, suffice it to say that in the current environment, inflation is happening. The Fed has this dual mandate of keeping unemployment near target rates and inflation near target rates. Unemployment is really, really low right now, which is great inflation is out of control. And so what the Fed is trying to do as they're dealing with this dual mandate is to tamp down inflation. The way that they do that is by raising the federal funds rate. That's one of the tools that they have in their arsenal. What that means is that they're raising the rate at which they're willing to lend money to banks overnight. And the rising, when you hear about raising rates, the Fed raised rates today, It's the that's the rate that we're talking about. It is the the way that they increase the cost of borrowing, meaning debt gets more expensive and the the trickle down effect of debt being more expensive is people spend less, companies spend less, companies borrow less, and it in theory is going to decrease the inflation that we're seeing at any given time. Now it's a bit of a blunt instrument and it has a lot of other effects too, both good and bad. I want to address where does the opportunity lie in the current environment? Where is the opportunity for investors and what kinds of things are we doing for our clients? And a quick aside before I get into specific tools, you know, I've long been interested in the sort of cryptocurrency world and I, I don't hold any and I don't care if you do or not. And this is not a recommendation to buy or sell any specific security, but <laughs> I wonder if any listeners remember that Matt Damon commercial from last year where he's kind of walking around and then it pans from his face to this, like looking out into space. And he says, fortune favors the brave. And this totally like, you know, <sighs> esoteric, having nothing to do with any concrete, tangible financial reality, like, oh yeah, buy cryptocurrency. And it's a brave thing to do. Since then, cryptocurrency has been crushed. If you just look at Bitcoin, which was near 70,000 per coin back near the time when that ad aired, now it's bouncing around the $20,000 threshold. I don't know what the future holds for cryptocurrency. It was previously thought in some circles to be an effective inflation hedge because you can't create more of it. There's a, well, I should say the Fed can't impact the value of it the way that um, they can just create new dollars. 
But what we've seen is that, well, in a year when inflation is raging, Bitcoin has not held up its end of the bargain in terms of being, at least in the short term, a hedge for inflation. So what should you be doing right now with your cash? That's the question I want to examine. And the short answer in this inflationary environment is, well, I have no idea what you specifically should do with your cash. You can only know what's appropriate for you in your short to intermediate term needs if you're doing this in conjunction with an advisor. Today's content is obviously intended only for informational and educational purposes as always. However, I do have a couple ideas about what you could consider if you're thinking about, man, I have some money. Inflation is eroding the value of my dollar. If I had a hundred grand in the checking account on January 1st of this year, that hundred grand is worth something like 90 grand in terms of purchasing power on December 31st, even though the number $100,000 is still the same. The, the purchasing power, what you can get for that hundred grand is diminishing. That's what inflation means. As I'm talking to clients, I just did a, a wave of financial planning meetings into the fall. And there, I have a lot of clients who are saving for these short to intermediate term goals for a house, trying to build up an emergency fund or just carrying a sizable cash buffer because that's what they need to feel good to pass the sleep well at night test. And inflation in this environment is particularly punitive for people in this circumstance, that 100,000, 200,000 for that down payment or that $150,000 emergency fund or whatever, those, those dollars are under attack getting eaten by the termites of inflation right now. So here are some things to do, both actions you can take and then opportunities that exist in this inflationary environment. The first thing, and I've talked about this in the past on this podcast, is make sure that you have the right amount of cash. It's important as it's ever been to right size the cash that you have on hand and ask yourself, ask your spouse, what is the number that we need to sleep well, to feel good, to feel financially secure, linked to some multiple, in many cases of your monthly living expenses, and then carry that amount of cash. So make sure you're not carrying too much is really what I'm saying. What I want to have listeners recognize is the opportunity cost right now for carrying cash is very, very high. That 10% erosion, that $100,000 to $90,000 of purchasing power the implications are we need to be carrying the right amount of cash because we're going to pay a premium for the cash we carry and we don't want to carry more than we need. The second thing you can consider is thinking about alternative sources of capital as part of your emergency fund. So instead of thinking, oh, my emergency fund is all the money I have in the bank, all the cash in my checking and savings account, there may come a time, and I would propose that this is a time to think about this, consider this, is that maybe you consider as your emergency fund all of the cash that you have, plus any line of credit on the equity in your home, plus credit card capacity. And the households for whom this works really well is if you have a strong positive cash flow. If you've got 10, 15, $20,000 a month of free cash flow, money that sits in your checking account that you don't necessarily have a job for, and you're maybe saving it in taxable investments or something like that. For someone like this, this is a good strategy because you don't necessarily need to be afraid if you, you know, have some expensive car repair or you need a new roof on your house or whatever. If you had to spend all your cash and then go into something like a line of credit and go into really debt financing, go into debt, you want to make sure that you have the cash flow to be able to quickly pay off that debt. That is the only circumstance in which this works, but it does work really, really effectively. So if you had 50000 in an emergency fund on one hand, and then an additional $100,000 home equity line of credit available on your house, you're not paying for that $100,000. There's no erosion of that cash value because it's not actually cash that's not deployed. There's still $150,000 of total value and the 
person who's using the line of credit in our example, they've got $50,000 in cash. They've got $100,000 invested in the market and then another $100,000 of home equity line of credit. So they can access the home equity line, but that extra $100,000, the hundred grand that instead of keeping it all in cash, they invested it, that hundred grand is going to be working for them, which (laughs) to be fully transparent this year hasn't worked out that well yet. But the point is, if it's a long-term pot of money, you know, we want to have that money invested and working for you. So considering those alternative sources as part of your emergency fund can be a way to minimize the opportunity cost that you're incurring. The final thing I want to cover, in addition to right-sizing cash, thinking about using alternative sources of emergency fund to minimize the opportunity cost, I want to, in this third segment, talk about what tools are available, the specific opportunities with specific instruments that look much better now than they did six, nine, 12 months ago. And I'm going to go sort of in ascending order of ascending order of complexity here. So when rates come up, one of the fundamental sort of financial laws is rates go up, bond prices go down. So in a rising rate environment, like we've seen this year, when the Fed rises rates and rises rates in order to combat inflation, bond funds, which have classically been you know, pretty safe, pretty stable, uh, have done pretty poorly. And the longer the duration, the longer the maturity of the bonds in a particular mutual fund or ETF, the more those funds have done very, very badly. But as rates come up, there are other instruments that become useful. And the first one I want to talk about is the good old high yield savings account. This is an area where banks are fighting over each other. They often have these introductory rates or these like headline rates. Certain banks, I think, do this really well. Ones that I've seen in the past are Ally Bank and American Express. Two, Marcus is another one. Some that I really like. I don't specifically recommend any of these. I mean, I obviously do your own due diligence, but these are FDIC insured, fully liquid, if you got $100,000 of cash invested, instead of letting it sit in your checking account and collect dust or sit in a savings account that's not a high yield savings account, just paying like 0.1% or something. If you've got that 100 grand collecting two and a half, two and three quarters or 3%, all of a sudden we're talking $3,000 of interest per year. That's something you should take advantage of if you're thinking about buying a house in a year or a year and a half. You want to consider, is this 100 grand earning a return? Because you're going to cover chunk of your closing costs just by picking the right type of account for that cash to be sitting in. So high yield savings, you should consider this if you have all your money sitting in checking and haven't looked at this in a while. Rates have come up significantly, so check that out. The second instrument is the I-bond. This has been much discussed in financial media in the last handful of months. The, the, the I-bond is a U.S. Treasury bond that pays a rate of interest equal to the CPI for the last six months. So the last time the rates reset in May of 2022, this rate was 9.6%. So you can essentially get a T-bond, a treasury bond, paying 9.6%, and that's a guaranteed rate for six months. So the nice thing about this is it is directly related to inflation. It's a T-bond. So there is, um, there's no creditor risk. There's no danger of the U.S. going bankrupt. And if that obviously happens, we have much bigger things to worry about. And it's um, you know pretty easy to do for an investor. You can set this up at treasurydirect.gov and buy a T-bond. So from May up until end of October, it's been 9.62 or 63%. The rate has been reset in, in November. And at the time of this recording, it hasn't been 100% firmed up, but it looks like it's going to be about 6.5%. So again, 6.5% for a 
a security that's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury, that is something worth considering. Now, there are drawbacks. You can only invest $10,000. You need to be invested for five years in order to keep all of your interest. If you sell it between one and five years, you have to give back the last three months of interest payment and you can't sell it within one year. So if you want to get your money back out in 12 months, then too bad, that's not going to work for you. The third and final instrument I want to address is using what's called a bullet bond strategy. And there's different ways to do this. There are instruments, and I'm most interested in the ETF version of this for our listeners. So an ETF, an exchange traded fund, is a basket of securities that is kind of like a mutual fund. It's It can have really anything in it. And there's different asset classes, different strategies. And one of the instruments that is getting really interesting right now is bullet bond ETFs. And what this means is an ETF basket aggregates bonds of a particular maturity, meaning they all mature at the same time in the same window. And it aggregates a number of different bonds in a similar asset class. For example, U.S. corporates, U.S. treasuries, municipal bonds. And you can get a basket of these ETFs, a basket of these bonds in an ETF with a fixed maturity. So for example, you could have a two-year corporate bond bullet ETF. And what this means is in this ETF, this ticker, three letters that designates this bucket of corporate bonds, they all mature at the same time two years from now. What that allows you to do is significantly reduce interest rate risk as long as you can link the time frame that the maturity happens with a specific liability. This is called liability matching. This is also called immunization. So if you've ever heard of immunizing a bond portfolio, what you're doing is you're linking up the maturity of the bonds with a specific thing that you need to do with those bonds. And the reason this is helpful is because it's, it doesn't matter essentially what happens with interest rates now and then. The Fed can raise rates and raise rates and raise rates and keep on doing that for the next two years while they're battling inflation. And other bond funds with longer yields to maturity, and that is constantly buying and selling bonds, they're going to be going down, 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 down during this time. But if you have a bullet bond ETF with fixed maturity, what happens is in the short term, yeah, bonds may go down a little bit. The value of that basket may go down a little bit, but as the maturity gets shorter and shorter and approaches zero, the impact of rates going up lessens. And the example I like to use is it's like a a chairlift going up a mountain for, you know, you're skiing and you've got that fixed point at the top of the mountain, you're on the ski lift. And whenever rates go up, the, the chair goes down a little bit. It's like the lines sag. And so you do go down in the short term, but your destination two years from now is still at that same point on the mountain. You're getting pulled up to that same point, no matter what happens between now and then. Now, there are some caveats to that. And there is some like creditor risk, meaning if the economy gets so bad that a bunch of companies go bankrupt, then you're not going to get par value. You're not going to get your total money back. And you're not going to be at that same point up on the pinnacle of the mountain. But in most cases, with high quality corporate bonds, or if you're really nervous, you can do the same thing with US treasuries. You're gonna have a little bit of a lower yield, but it still works. Looking out a year or two or three years on these strategies, you can find returns in the, you know, three and a half to four and a half to even five and a half plus range. And what you can do is build what's called a bond ladder, 
meaning you have some mature in one year and some mature in two years and some mature in three years if you need laddered income. This is a common strategy for retirees who are trying to cover annual living expenses from their investments. Or if you're somebody that says, I know I want to buy a house three years from now, what's the best thing I can do with this money to make sure that I want to earn something, but I also want to make sure it's there three years from now. You could consider a bond a, a bullet bond ETF with a three-year maturity, knowing that you've got that fixed point at the top of the mountain that you want to get to, and then interest rates are going to do whatever they're doing in the short term. But because there's a discrete number of bonds and they all mature at the same time, the impact of those interest rate moves over time, they approach zero. And so whenever that bond matures at par, then you can get whatever money that you need and be relatively insulated from the interest rate risk that you would have if you're holding, for example, a bond fund of some sort that didn't have a fixed maturity. So bullet bond strategy can be really effective for those types of fixed time frame, point in time, X number of years from now, and I want to earn the best return I can. It's way better than, for example, even a high yield savings account that's going to pay you three if you can get five in a corporate bond ETF or four in a treasury ETF. That's definitely worth thinking about. So if you have cash, in summary, if you have cash, ask yourself how much should you be carrying? Number one. Number two, consider using alternative sources of cash if you have strong positive cash flow in order to reduce opportunity costs. Think about that HELOC. Think about credit card capacity. Think about these other opportunity other funds that can be leveraged, you know, even a taxable investment account. Like you could drain that if you needed for some cataclysmic emergency. And then finally, consider these instruments that have gotten much more attractive in recent months. The high yield savings account, the I bonds and the bullet bond ladder, or just the bullet bond strategy to immunize your bond exposure to a particular investment time frame. That's all I've got for today. Hopefully this is useful. I, I'm going to drop some useful links in the show notes. So check it out at apmsuccess.com slash 170. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.